the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, and Jesus responded with, our Father, who art in heaven, you shall pray like this. And it's not just words. It actually teaches us how to pray at the same time. And so I want to empower you uh, to commune with God with confidence through the very simple prayer that you pray all the time, the Our Father, by understanding what it's saying and how it's helping you pray, not just by the words you say, but actually uh, what's called an interpreter of your desire. We'll get to that in a second. But then so that, and my hope is that the Our Father will actually become a meditative prayer for you. So it's not just a spoken prayer that you say at Mass on Sundays or a spoken prayer that uh, you say when you're gathered together in a group, but it's actually a prayer that you can meditate on. In reality, if you look at the Our Father, you should be able to spend a half hour just meditating with the Our Father. And I, sometimes I like to do that. I have to go back and recall and recapture the beauty of the Our Father. It's, obviously, it's a prayer that Jesus taught, so it's pretty packed. If you imagine that the divine person, Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, becoming flesh, teaches us how to pray this particular way, it's going to be pretty sweet. It's got a lot of juice behind it, a lot of depth to it. Repeat after me really quick. Um, deep, deep. Deep down, down. Deep down in my heart. I love my Jesus. Deep down in my heart. All right, you ready? Deep, deep. Deep down, down. Deep down in my heart. I love my Jesus. Deep, deep. Deep down, down. Deep down in my heart. All right, let's do it all together. On the count of three, one, two, three. Deep, deep, deep down, down. Deep down in my heart, I love my Jesus. Deep, deep, deep down, down. Deep down in my heart. All right, good job. We got it. They're, they're rocking in the back. I love it. Yeah, they got it. They know. They know. They know. So we're going to go deep. I like that. Carrie said we're going to go deep, and I immediately, I said, like, I got to sing this song. Because when someone says the word deep, this is immediately what I think of. And I love going deep with our Lord. So it's beautiful. Let's enter into prayer then, um, asking for the Holy Spirit to join us and to be present in our hearts, and we'll then uh, kick it off. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, uh, your Son, Jesus, is King, King of our hearts, King of the world, and we desire that he would uh, be more so truly acknowledged as the one who brings the truth, uh, the life, and the way to eternal happiness, eternal life with you. We beg you to please send your Holy Spirit to be upon us, to give us especially the gifts of wisdom and understanding, so that we might be lights to the rest of the world, especially those who are in our, uh, around our same age, that, Lord, they would know you through us and our love for you. And we ask this all as we entrust it to our blessed mother who dearly intercedes and treats us as a mother by grace as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. What time do we have to start the next section just so I know how much time I have? At 8.25? All right, so 8.25, that means I've got 35 minutes. Buckle up, you ready? All right, 
So, um, I explained my, my method to you. We're going to look at the spiritual life together so that you can have confidence that it's accessible and it's real and it brings you into communion with God and how the Our Father can be a prayer that helps you meditate and stay in communion and indeed interprets your desires in life so that they're in accordance with the will of God. Um, we had the gospel yesterday. Uh, Mary chose the better part. You guys remember that, right? Uh, Martha and Mary going around. So I wanted to read that really quick. That was uh, Luke 10. Or is it Luke 11? Luke 10. There it is, 38. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needed. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. So Mary chose the better part, and it will not be taken from her. And so the best way to talk about um, how the spiritual life is accessible to you is to really think about this very concretely, that you, by an intentional decision, can choose the better part. So you have the capacity within you. I have the capacity within me at any moment, at any moment, to choose the better part. So that's not just applicable to the spiritual life, but that's applicable to the spiritual life in action. The spiritual life in action is the moral life, right? So spiritual life roots us in union with the will of God, and then when it becomes active is the moral life. So at any moment, no matter what you're doing, I think it's so important for us to acknowledge that you have the power within you to choose the better part and pray with that. Think about that. That's very interesting. So as we go through today, I wanted to pass out. Can I pass out to those um, examines really quick? I wanted to make sure you had papers, so I, I print out something that will come up later on, but I want to get these out to you now so that you have um, some paper to write on. There will be a couple of scripture passages that I'll throw out there. Um, uh, take notes or, or write them down so you can go back and pray with them later on. These are scripture passages that will be very much oriented towards helping your prayer life. So I think they're important for you. So you can, we'll, we'll look at that examine uh, later on in the talk. Hopefully we'll get a chance to get to it. But you have that first part there, okay? By the way, as you take notes, at the end, there will be a quiz. Because you're in college, a lot of you, right? Or those of you who just got out of college, don't you just love to go back and do more tests? So there will be a quiz, and at the end of the quiz, I have three prizes for the winners. So you have motivation now to listen <laughs> and, and take good notes, because you might never know, you might be the lucky winner of a few books. One is called... Navigating the Interior Life, which is one of the books that um, some of the stuff that I'm sharing with you today is based out of. It's a very accessible book, uh, even, for, even for our level as young people. So I, it's a, if, you want, if you don't win it tonight, I do recommend it as a book to read. It's called Navigating the Interior Life by Daniel Burke. Burke, just put, remember Burke, Navigating the Interior Life. Very, very good book. If you're interested, it's very accessible. It will do wonders for you in teaching you about the spiritual life. The other prize that you might win, second place prize, will be a book called Jesus Shock. 
Some of you might have read it. It's by Peter Kreeft. It's a really solid book. Uh, really puts you in a connection with the person of Jesus and just how shocking he is and what he says because he said, I'm God. And <laughs> that's pretty shocking to say. Um, and then finally, third place will be a book that probably some of you have seen before or heard of, just uh, Pure Love by Jason Everett. So, so those are your prizes. To There's my, um, my carrots I'm hanging over you. Um, now, another book. So I mentioned navigating the interior life. Again, I'm, I want to empower you, and part of empowering you is, is having more to take with you. So this is my number one recommended book for spiritual life, growth and beginning. It's called Navigating the Interior Life. I, I think maybe maybe... 30% of you have written it down. So if, you, if you're interested, write it down. Navigating the interior life, okay? Another one that I recommend, um, again, not, one of my top favorite, especially for trying to begin your spiritual life or if you feel like you're really at a beginner's level, it's called Prayer Primer. So Prayer Primer, P-R-I-M-E-R. Igniting a fire within. Yeah, igniting a fire. I love that. It's by a, a priest named Thomas Dubay. D-U-B-A-Y. And I'll keep these up here for later on after you walk out. If you want to look at them again, these are the, 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 the two books that I recommend for you for your growth uh, at your app. If you're a little more feeling like, you know, I want to be a little more advanced in the spiritual life. I'm ready to kind of pick it up a little bit. This book called Praying with Confidence, which is a lot of uh, some of my major reflections are coming from this Praying with Confidence. It's by a priest named Father Paul Murray. So Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, and you can come look at a letter. Praying with confidence, Aquinas on the Lord's Prayer. That is the Our Father. It's a very, very, very um, good book. It's a little more theologically up there, but nonetheless, if you're ready to look for something more, that's there for you. You can look at those later on. Okay. Father Paul Murray, by the way, was one of my spiritual theology professors over in Rome. He was a, um, he was a spiritual director for Mother Teresa, Blessed Teresa of Calcutta. And whenever she would come to Rome, uh, Father Paul Murray would meet with her and talk with her and stuff like that. And one of the days, Father Paul Murray was sitting down with her and trying to kind of discover her spirit- spirituality, like what's the secret to her spirituality. And uh, he was like, you know, talking with her, asking her questions for like hours upon hours and just trying to uh, uh, digest it and try to, in his, in his very, very profound and intellectual, spiritual, theological mind, wrap his head around the beautiful spirituality of simplicity that is contained in Blessed Teresa. And at the end, Mother Teresa grabbed his hand like that, right, and said, um, you did it to me, right? Put your hands up. You, you did it to me. What's that a reference to? When Jesus says, Whatever you have done unto least of me, you've done unto whatever you've done to least of my brothers and sisters, you have done unto me. So, a very profound thing uh, in regards to that spirituality. So, spiritual theology has this ability to grasp something very heavy and to root it down into our daily life. Okay, now let's 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 try to get into it then. Huh, huh, huh. There we go. All right, what is prayer? A couple of things to look at. Uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, no, Bible passage, you can write that one down. John, chapter 4, this is a very important scripture passage for prayer, all right? In there is an encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman uh, comes up, and Jesus asks her for a drink. 
And she says, where's your bucket? Are you going to draw any water? Why are you out here? What's going on? And basically the dialogue continues a little bit. And the key phrase is Jesus says to her, if you would have known who was asking you give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you water that wells up to, who knows? Who knows? Who wells up to what? Who thinks they know? Who said it? Eternal life. Good. Eternal life. Perfect. Come on up. You get a little card prize. All right. Good for you. Oh, wait. Let me see if I can throw a little bit further. <laughs> oh, that was really bad. It's over there. You got to work for it more. So, all right. No, it goes, goes back. Goes back. <laughs> Luke, very clever. Very clever. So give me something to drink. This is a very, again, another, so remember, you did it to me. A very simple way to uh, summarize spiritual life. Another way, give me something to drink. Prayer is approaching the Lord and saying, Lord, give me something to drink. Give me that water that's going to well up to eternal life. I want heaven and to desire it and to want it. And to say, say to the Lord constantly in your prayer, Lord, give me something. Please just fill me up with this love that you say through these gospels, through the church, through everything that's, that I've heard about growing up. That's supposed to, give that to me. And you just answer and you just beg the Lord for that. And so that's, a, that's a, a very important starting point, giving this living water. Some other um, statements about prayer. St. Therese of Lisieux says it like this. For me, prayer is a surge of the heart. It is a simple look toward heaven. It is a cry of recognition and of love, embracing both trial and joy. Two key phrases, or three, surge of the heart, right? So there's, you, you ever feel that impulse from your heart to want to go and maybe pray and actually spend time? Or maybe there's an impulse some point in your life, you're like, I want to go to confession. That's a surge of the heart. Confession is a very penitential kind of prayer, and it's a real encounter with the Lord. Um, the, the simple look toward heaven. Just taking that moment to, in a, in a brief moment in your life, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, at mass or in a day, and you just stop and you just think about heaven for a second and you just meditate on it or whatever, that's a moment of prayer. It can be is that simple, that simple look towards heaven. Uh, and then finally, embracing both trial and joy. This is a very Therese statement here. Therese knew how to suffer very well. And she dealt with a lot of difficulty, tuberculosis, uh, at a time when they didn't really know much about the disease and suffered greatly. Um, But to embrace both trial and joy. So your prayer gives you the ability to endure all the trials and to enjoy all the joy that is waiting for you in life. Prayer is the raising of one's mind, a a little more theological definition here. The prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God, right? And then again, that John chapter 4, if you only knew the gift of God and you would have asked to uh, get a drink and you would have received water that wells up to eternal life. So where to begin? So that's some sense of prayer. Just think of that surge of the heart, that look towards heaven, um, that encounter with the Lord. Those are some basic statements about prayer. Uh, Where do we begin? Uh, uh, This is again Therese. She says, you wish to scale a mountain, but the good God wants you to descend. He is waiting for you at the bottom of the fertile valley of humility. So sometimes we think about the spiritual life as like, okay, because I talked about the connection between the spiritual life and the moral life, and we think that the advancement in the spiritual life is perfecting the moral life, when it's actually the exact opposite. The perfecting of the moral life comes from the humble descent into the spiritual life. The reality is, is that your moral life and, the, and your weaknesses and your struggles that you deal with on a daily basis, your sins, your common weaknesses that you fall into, are not corrected primarily 
by trying to will them into such a way, although we have to do that sometimes. But the best antidote is the virtue of humility, falling deeply and humbly into the mercy of God and letting him purify your heart so that you can live in accordance with his will. So that importance of moving down, he's gone down this, it's a beautiful image. You, one of the images that comes from the great spiritual writers of the early church history is um, we're trying to climb this ladder, right? And, and an, an image of the ladder is important in a lot of ways of, of ascending. I'm not saying that there's not something important about that. But one of the things that happens, you imagine you get all the way to the top of the ladder and you get up there and it's just kind of like, you look back and you're like, whoa, there was a rich valley like right down there. Very beautiful image, right? To just go down into the valley to humble yourself before the presence of God. That's how you begin in prayer. When you enter into Mass on Sunday and you come in, surrender. Just enter into the Mass and say, I am here. I am humbly present. Surrender yourself to what is to happen. And like Mary did, we read the Gospel earlier, sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. Okay. I'm not going to go through the details of the, what I call these three starting blocks. I'll just, I'll just name them quickly. You can see the, the scripture passages there. They're important for you. Acts chapter 9, that's the conversion of St. Paul. Very good to read. Acts 26 to 40. I, won't read the, I wanted to read the whole thing, but um, Philip um, and an Ethiopian? No. Uh, yeah? Yeah. And an Ethiopian. And he says, um, how am I going to understand the word of God? What do I do? I need someone to teach me, right? So the importance of, of, of learning from the scripture can be there. Psalm 1 to 1 to 2, I do want to um, read that one. That's a, that's a very important one. Uh, write this one down. This is like, so the Psalms, you guys know, are like, they're like the, the Bible's like book on prayer. If you're having a hard time praying, like one of the easiest things to do is just pick up the Psalms and you just start reading the Psalms. Um, and Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, I'm at 31, oh, got too far, Job, Psalms 1. Blessed, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So spending that constant time with the scriptures is an easy way to pray. Not spending time with the, you know, in the counsel of wicked people and standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seats of scoffers, but delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night. Very, very powerful way to pray. That's the Psalms uh, express all sorts of different kinds of prayers, even complaining to God. Have you ever complained to God? If you can, it's okay. You can complain to God. He's okay. He's a big boy. He can handle it, okay? So you can complain to God. You, you read some of the Psalms, they complain up the wazoo. And it's inspired scripture. And there's complaining in there. So it's okay. God should be your main confidant. Of all things, you, you complain to your best friend about stuff that's going on. God should be your main confidant. Really turn to him and, and complain to him. Let him hear it so that he can then respond to you. But you got to listen at the same time as well. What is the goal? I mentioned this. Uh, 1 Corinthians, I want to read this one. Do you guys like when we do this part, huh? 1 Corinthians. Um, 1 Corinthians. It's okay. I, I, I like the effect. I kind of like the effect. All right. So, 1 Corinthians. Do, do, do. See, I forgot my, I actually forgot um, my Bible, which I had taken the time to go through and actually like uh, 
label every single one of the scripture passages I wanted to use, and then I left it on my desk. So I have a very good, very good friend, Matt. So 9, 24, 27, 9, 10. There's chapter 9. There's chapter 10. I'm in 2 Corinthians 9 first. <laughs> See, priests don't even know what's going on. No, I'm just kidding. There we go. All right. Do you not know, this is St. Paul, do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. Well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I pummel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What St. Paul basically saying is like, look, be dedicated. Focus in on the spiritual life. And people spend all sorts of time trying to dedicate themselves to being champions in athletics, especially today even. We spend all sorts of time being the best businessman, the best doctor, the best everything that we can be, the best teacher. We should also spend just as much time on something that lasts eternally. We should be focused on it and really strive for it. So that's our goal. Our goal is to be focused and to go for it. That's what I want to encourage you uh, and strengthen you. So three things. Three stages of the spiritual life. These are some small spiritual um, theology points for you. What's called the purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive. All right? So three stages of the spiritual life. Basic ways in which you would pass to growing in deeper holiness. Right? Again, remember one of the things I want you to realize that holiness is accessible to you. That you can actually grow in holiness. It can actually happen in your life. So the purgative is kind of like a childhood. Right? Spiritual childhood. You complain a lot when you're a child. Right? Your will is all over the place, isn't it? You know, you always want things for yourself when you're growing up as a little kid. And you get older and you realize, oh, there's other people that I should maybe be concerned about. That's what you're kind of like when you're a spiritual child. You're so focused on yourself. Now, it's not a bad thing because it's a stage to pass through. Now, if you stay there, it could be bad. But that's a really important stage to pass through, somehow letting go of that. Am I standing in the way of anybody? You guys, oh, sorry, guys. You guys are this stuff. You're good. You can look around. So purgative, illuminative, and unitive. All right, three stages childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. We're going to look at those more concretely. St. Thomas Aquinas articulates purgative stage kind of like this. He says, the first duty which is incumbent on us, on man, is to give up sin and resist concupiscence. That's pretty concrete, right? If you want to grow in the spiritual life, first thing to do, St. Thomas Aquinas says, give up sin and reject concupiscence, resist concupiscence. That's very concrete. You can do that. Who knows what concupiscence is? Yeah. Exactly. Good job. Come on up. You get a card for that one. Perfect. All right. The inclination towards it, that tendency towards sin that still remains, right? Okay, good. All right. See, look, you guys know spiritual theology. You didn't even know it. All right. <laughs> Giving up sin and concubines, which are opposed to charity. This belongs to beginners in whose hearts charity is to be nursed and cherished lest it be corrupted. Notice the word charity. What's the word charity mean? Translated in our more common language. Love, right? So charity means love. Love is the essence of God. So when we grow in charity, when we are trying to protect it and preserve it and purify it and keep it cherished, we're actually getting closer to that contemplation, that union with God that we're striving for. So the purgative mode has that way. We'll come back to it. Illuminative. Two key things here. Applying your energies to advancing in virtue. Actually trying to create habits, good habits, that you live in your life that give you virtue. 
That's that second stage, the illuminative one primarily. It's growth and virtues, making progress, right? Increasing charity. Then that unitive way, the key word, to rest in God and enjoy him. Doesn't that sound nice? Don't you want to just rest in God sometimes? If you're very busy, like Martha, we read Martha earlier today, sometimes you just want to rest in God. And there's a very beautiful thing. And and you can rest in him in such a way that you're not disturbed by the difficulties and struggles. Like St. Therese had said earlier today, when you're really praying, you can endure all, all, all that you do, trial or joy, very calmly and patiently. Look at this again, some common aspects of the purgative stage, okay? Spiritual childhood. Maybe think about where am I at? Not to necessarily try to be too scrupulous about it, but just think, where am I at? Where am I at in this? The spiritual childhood, adolescence, adulthood. Here you go. Here's some of the aspects of someone who's going through the spiritual childhood stage of the spiritual life. You have a desire to pursue God. Sometimes, most of the times, it's primarily motivated by a fear of God, right? The fear of punishment. There are times when I, we, we went to confession because I'm a little afraid of the punishment that is due for my sins. Maybe it's a sense of duty. You grew up doing this all the time. You're at a very childhood stage or just circumstance. It's the way you, had, you felt like you had to be. It is a stage, and you can continue to grow from it. The will is still very weak, though. So you might make a step forward, you know, and you feel like you take 30 steps back, you know. It's like soccer. Soccer used to baffle me as a sport growing up because I was a baseball fan. I love baseball. And... Soccer baffled me, though, because I would watch soccer. I mean, you know, I'm also a, a football fan a little bit, and I, I'm used to American football where everything's about advancing the ball, advancing the ball. But then I saw in soccer how they'd pass the ball forward, and they pass the ball back. I'm like, what are you doing? That's the wrong way. You don't want to go that way. Now, I was, I was biased, I admit, and, and I realized later on my bias, especially because I used to say soccer was boring. But then I realized I was being very hypocritical, Because a lot of people say baseball is boring. (laughs) And when saying baseball is boring, I always used to have to defend baseball, say, well, it's not boring because it's really exciting. See, this is going on, this is going on. They're they're thinking about this, this is happening. And then I realized as I tried to defend baseball all the time that I was being hypocritical about soccer because I never took time to understand soccer. So then I was playing soccer at the North American College. Believe it or not, we have a thing called Clericus Cup, all right? And all the different seminaries in Rome, representing different countries, come together and play a soccer tournament. And the Italians love it. (laughs) They actually come and they record it, and it's on the nightly news in Italy. So priests playing soccer, right? And so we play the soccer against, like, the French college, against the, the Mexican college, against the Irish college, the English college. We all have soccer teams. Of course, the Mexican college tends to beat us a lot, right? But nonetheless, very, very fun to play. So when I was playing it, what I began to realize about soccer is that what's most important in the game of soccer is ball possession. So when you pass it back, it's not that the ball is going back this direction and you're losing the game now, but it's about trying to keep possession of the ball, even if you have to pass it all the way back to the goalie, right? So if you're at this position where your your will is very weak, let's apply this analogy. The spiritual life is very much like the concept of soccer, which breaks my heart because I wish it was baseball that had more spiritual reality to it. But, but it's kind of like soccer. The most important thing in the spiritual life is that you keep possession of the ball. Even if you have to pass it all the way back to the goalie. Just to keep possession of the ball. If you, and that, again, that recalls that humility aspect in ourselves, okay? So three main goals in this stage. Three main goals. 
if you're in this childhood stage. Try to gain awareness of your sin so you want to repent of it. Deal with the sorrow of your past sins. Really entrust your past sins, especially if you've already confessed them. Hand them over to God. Be confident in his merciful love. Hand them over to him. And then try to cultivate that strong desire to rid yourself of the sin. So gain awareness of it. Get rid of the past sins, the sorrow that you have there. Try to move on. Trust that God has really forgiven you. And then try to um, get, rid, get rid of that strong desire for sin. Spiritual adolescence. We'll go through this a little more quickly. Um, some of you might be answering it to this stage a little bit. Kind of growth and purposeful and consistent prayer, virtue and love of others. Maybe you started going to daily mass a little bit or every now and then or you picked up the rosary for a while or you're trying to maybe spend time meditating on the scriptures. You're, in this, you're getting closer to the stage. You might be moving back and forth a little bit, right? Battle against habitual sin is getting more and more one. You're not just necessarily always giving in every single time to those natural inclinations of any kind that you have, those disordered inclinations that we all have in some kind of way that has, that has harmed us, right? And the soul cares more about not offending God than the fear of punishment. That's that true love of God we talk about a lot, right? Okay, let's keep going because there's more stuff to get through. Um, adulthood. One of the key, what, you know what I just want to say? Uh, two things I think are best about this. No fear of suffering even desiring to suffer for God's sake or someone else. Maybe you felt moments of that. Maybe you felt compassion for someone and you wanted to join with their suffering. That's a moment of some really spiritual maturity. Very beautiful, very profound. If someone's suffering in your life and you pray for them and you want to offer up sacrifices, penances, maybe, in, maybe you one Lent, you took on a really big penance. Or, or, or that you're for Lent. You're like, man, I'm going to go for this. I remember when I was in college and uh, my good friend, Jackie Francois, if you know Jackie Francois. So we went to college together at Cal State Fullerton for two years. And while we were there, um, one Lent, we did, we ate rice only the entire Lent. Only rice for the entire Lent was our, was our, was our penance. And we're like, we're going to do this. We're going to be like super spiritual stars. We're going to go for it, everything like that. Now, like a week after that, we said, you know, Let's let ourselves have like a little bit of soy sauce on it for some flavor, you know. So we kept with it. We kept with it, but we did use some soy sauce to try and give it a little bit of flavor. So that, that desire to do some kind of penance, that's a very strong spiritual maturity sign. So you can see you can be mixed in different places there. But it's real. It's true. Uh, it, the, the, the spiritual life is very real and true in this way. Okay. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about this confidence, Okay. How, would we, how do we pray with confidence? St. Thomas Aquinas says, Of all things required of us when we pray, confidence is of great avail. Why would we be confident? A, a key point, again, having that goal in mind. The goal is communion with God. A real, lasting, penetrating communion with the Lord in our life, which affects the moral life over time and makes us live more beautifully. When we pray, we approach the one, think about this, you're approaching God who, out of sheer love, created you for no reason. He had no reason to create you, but out of love, he created you. This is a good guy to approach, all right? He's pretty interested in you and what happens in your life, right? He's not someone to be afraid of from the perspective that you have to be afraid all the time, but he, he deeply, deeply cares about you. Then, not only did that out of sheer love did he create you, then out of sheer grace, he saved you from your sins. 
So even in the midst of your experience of your weakness and your fallenness and your brokenness, he still sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you, to redeem you from your sin and offer you salvation. So out of sheer love, he created you. Out of sheer grace, he freed you from your sin. This is a God who very much is interested in your daily life. No need to feel like you can't confidently approach him with your needs, with your desires, with what's going on in your life, right? We call God Father. When Jesus begins the Our Father, he says, Our Father. That means that God is a Father to us. And when we can speak to a Father intimately, a Father should be, he's a good Father too, right? So if he's a good Father, he created us out of sheer love, he is someone we can definitely have confidence in who's going to respond to our needs in a way that is for our benefit, all right? Now, I wanted to put this in here like simple um, four forms of prayer. We just remember, I don't want to go into a lot of detail of this, but you can see these concretely. Uh, what's called petition. This is like that, God, forgive my sins, please. That's a petition. We say that every Mass, we begin Mass, right? Lord, have mercy. Christ, have eleison. All right, good. I'll hire you for the choir. Don't worry. All right. right? We, we appeal to God for mercy. We turn to him. We petition. We intercede in mass, don't we? The prayers of the faithful, right? The prayers of the faithful. We intercede. We give thanks. What's the, what, what's the, what's the word that means thanksgiving in Greek? Wow, you see, you guys are so smart. This is great. Eucharist, perfect. And then, of course, we praise. What do we see praise a lot? In the Gloria. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to people of goodwill. I forgot how that one goes. <laughs> but I forget it. There, there's the translation I, I'm not used to. Okay, so you get the idea. Those are basic four things. Petition, intercession, thanksgiving, and praise. Those are forms of prayer. But I want to enter more quickly into the Our Father so that we can get through this. Uh, this, is my, this is my favorite part. We talked about the Our Father. What I want to do is I want to break the Our Father down for you so that you see it as accessible and as a way to be the interpreter of your desire. This is, this is a phrase that comes directly from St. Thomas Aquinas. Do you know who St. Thomas Aquinas is? What religious order was he in? Who knows? Dominican. Who said it? Come on up. You get a card. Good for you. Right? Dominican. So he's a Dominican priest. Very, he's called the angelic doctor, right? He wrote the great Summa Theologica. It's like a summary of all theology. He comes up with this phrase to describe the Our Father. It's the interpreter of our desire, okay? So what that means is that the Our Father is meant to properly order our desires in this world to what is good. So there are seven petitions. Did you know this? The Our Father is made up of seven petitions. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Seven petitions, things that we're petitioning to God to give us. And those seven petitions, if we live by them, if we look at them and we meditate with them, can help us understand how we are to pray. If you're ever struggling with prayer, have you ever struggled with prayer? You ever feel like maybe God's not answering your prayer? One of the first things I recommend, if you feel like God's not answering your prayers, go back to the Our Father. Make sure you're praying for these seven petitions first, right? Make sure you're praying for these seven petitions first. 
so that your desires are properly ordered to what is good for you. What are those petitions? Let's look at them more concretely. Notice that three are for drawing us closer to heavenly goods. So hallowed be thy name, right? That's about a heavenly thing in God's name in heaven that it would be hallowed here on earth, a heavenly good that we're drawn closer to. We'll talk about that in a second. Thy kingdom come, again, a heavenly good drawing us closer to it or, him, or, or, we're, or it coming close to us and thy will be done. Then we have the one that's to receive like all basic like earthly goods. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Very, very, very earthy, right? Then we have three petitions that are about separating us further from evil, right? What's the first evil we got to get rid of? Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. So do you see how it breaks down like that? It's very beautiful. And these seven petitions are ways to interpret, to order our desires towards what is good, all right? So you can kind of, uh, one of my, you can practically evaluate your spiritual life according to the rubrics of the, of the Our Father. Very easy, very profound. Do you have these seven things in mind first? Do you care about his name being hallowed? Do you care about his kingdom coming? Do you want his will to be done? Are you asking for your daily bread? Are you forgiving sins who have trespassed against you and asking for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you trying to be d- delivered from temptation? And are, are you trying not to be led in temptation? And are you asking to be delivered from evil? Very powerful. That's seven things you can always pray for and you always need. I still pray for those things. I need them as well. All right, let's look at, a, uh, look at look, the petitions um, concretely here. I've got about five minutes. You think I'll make it? Oh, I got 10. Carrie has just granted me a five-minute bonus, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. All right. There must have been some, like, the ball was out of bounds for a little bit. We had to bring it back in. Like, what's that? It's called extra play in soccer. Is that what it is? Right. Okay. So, hallowed be thy name. A request, notice, a request that this work of his name being hallowed on earth be brought to completion through us. Sometimes you might think of that thing like, hallowed be his, be his name. Isn't his name already pretty holy, right? Isn't it already pretty holy? Why would we need to pray that his name be hallowed? Well, it doesn't imply that God's name is not holy, right? What it actually is saying is that, look, it's a petition that God's name would be treated as holy by us. How important that is for your own personal life, that you would treat God's name as holy. Now, that doesn't just mean in, in not using his name in vain. That also means the way you live, how you approach him, that you treat him and you are approaching him with, with confidence and wanting to pray to him, treating his name as holy. In fact, so that nothing would be considered more holy, which approaches the first commandment, right? You shall have no other gods above me, right? So if God's, if God's name is holy to us, if it's the most thing worthy of our worship, him alone, that's what it means to have his name hallowed in our life because it is the number one source that we strive after, right? We're running that race, that goal for it, okay? All right, thy kingdom come. The kingdom is the person of Jesus, all right? Jesus in himself embodies the kingdom. It is the real presence of God within us and working in the world through us. So this is a call. um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Let me just say um, freedom. Yeah, we'll talk. This is a good thing. Freedom, a call for the most perfect freedom, which exists in God's kingdom only. All right. Freedom is a very important reality uh, in regards to attaining what is good. So we often interpret freedom in our current situation, perhaps you think of this sometime, as uh, being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, right? 
you probably hear priests say this all the time because we love to say that phrase, right? You got to do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want. It's a common thing we say all the time. That's our interpretation of freedom, but that's what's called self-autonomy. That is self-determination, where you determine your own existence. That's not freedom. That's hell. That's hell. To determine your own existence based on your principles and based on, on your own position and opinions in life, it's going to be putting yourself straight into hell because you're trying to reorder the universe and God's will towards yourself rather than the other way around. And what does that mean? That means you're separated from what God is trying to do in your life. So, but freedom means that you have the ability to attain what is good in your life. So, for example, uh, we, we talked about soccer. I talked about uh, baseball. Let's talk about a basketball player, okay? Um, a basketball player spends a lot of time disciplining their body, making sure they spend time training, working hard, so that they can play well on the course. We discipline ourselves in the spiritual life. That doesn't mean we're taking away freedoms. Another thing a basketball player does is he doesn't necessarily, if he wants to be his best, he's not going to go out and on late nights drinking himself silly, uh, waking up with a hangover the next day if he wants to be the best basketball player. That's not going to help him. So what he does is he disciplines himself. He makes decisions that help him work towards being a good basketball player. And he plays by the rules. He plays by the rules once he gets in the game. And because he does those things, he becomes very good at what he does. He becomes good at the game. Likewise, ourselves too. When we discipline ourselves, when we live trying to live according to God's will for ourselves, it's not, a, it's not a, a thing that tightens us. It frees us to be what is best in our lives, to be the best version of ourselves, to use a, a Matthew Kelly line, all right? DynamicCatholic.com if you want to look it up, okay? All right. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Basically, just a request to make earth heaven, right? Again, this is the third of those, of those heavenly goods that we want closer to us. What are we asking? Three simple things, and we'll, we'll roll through this one. That we may have eternal life, that we keep his commandments, and that we be restored to the state and dignity that we had before. Very three simple things. We say we want heaven here on earth. That means we want to have that eternal life. Now, life eternal is not just life everlasting. It's not just life after death. It is something that is communicated to us here right now, especially through the sacraments. As we encounter God through the sacraments and in our prayer life, if we have that contemplation, that union with him, we experience it there. It's something real that's happening right now, and you can receive it, okay? Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Um, mm, just the second point there I think is good. It is not inherently wrong to ask for temporal goods. Maybe you feel like, oh, man, I'm not supposed to ask for anything that's temporally good. No, it's okay. You can ask for stuff that in this world that you want. Now, if you're not getting it, it could be that it's probably not a good thing for you, right? So God's going to be certainly not giving you temporal goods that don't help you. Certainly, uh, you know, that uh, a free, um, you know, 24-pack of beer that drops onto your, um, onto your doorstep was not a gift from God, all right? It was someone else. Who knows? Um, that's a really bad example, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. That's what came to my mind. Ooh, don't say everything that comes or calls up there, okay? All right. Um, uh, 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 no, no, I don't want to talk about that. Let's keep going because uh, I want to get to the end. Uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. Reminds us of two basic things. We talked about this before, being humble and then being filled with hope because that God really does forgive, that he will forgive in, in this particular petition. So the interesting thing about this petition, it's the only one of the Our Father, all right? And as we go through these, what I'm hoping is that 
later in your prayer life, again, you can live with the Our Father and you can pray with it and go through these petitions and try to just, you could spend time with this petition. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. And you could pray with that for like 10, 15 minutes, just looking through your life. Have I really forgiven everyone who's trespassed against me? And can I say that with total confidence uh, in the Lord? You can if you're willing to. It's the only conditional petition that's there. What is it conditioned by? That we forgive others too, huh? How about that? Is that hard to do? Pretty hard to do. Yeah, no, I don't believe you. Is it hard? Okay, good. Now you're agreeing with me a little more. Okay, good, right? But look at this. From the moment a man desires God to be the Lord of all, he does not avenge injuries done to him, but leaves all that to God. Here, if it makes it easier for you to forgive people who have wronged you and they've wronged you really badly, look, leave it up to God. God will take care of it. He's on your side. If there's really something that needs to be taken care of, even punished, the Lord will have your side. There will be an opportunity for them to repent, to do what they need to do. Just leave it to God. Don't try to take revenge into your own hands. Just let it be in God's hands. Considering these things, we ought to show mercy to our debtors, for they are to us, if we are wise, the cause of our greatest pardon. This is interesting. So you think about the people who have wronged you again. Picture at least one person or two people or someone who has wronged you in your life. Because they have done that, they become one of the greatest sources of your own pardon from your own sins, if you forgive them, right? What They cover a multitude of sins. So God's going to take that very difficult situation where someone wronged you and he's going to turn it into a huge blessing. So confidently pray this particular petition. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us because it's very powerful for your own personal growth and spiritual life. Recall that parable of the wicked servant. Notice scripture passage. You might want to write that one down. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Parable of the wicked servant, right? This is the servant who goes to the master and says, please forgive me this very large debt. And he says, okay, yeah, I forgive you. Then he goes around and he sees another person with the debt. The difference is like 300,000 days wages versus like one day wage, Right? And he comes, sorry, 10-day wages, actually. So he comes to the guy who owes him 10 days after he just got forgiven 300000 He comes to the guy with 10, and he makes him go to the tormentors and be put away and paid punishment for the fact that he can't pay him back for 10 when he just got forgiven 300000 This is what it's like for us in relationship to God. God has forgiven us 300,000 days wages. The person who has wronged us has only got 10 days wages. How could we not forgive him? It would be outrageous for me to ask God for mercy and not grant mercy to my fellow servant, to my brothers. So I'm not saying it's easy, but I want you to have confidence in God, not in the person that they're going to actually convert or change their hearts about the situation. I want you to have confidence in the loving mercy of God that he will take care of it on his own. This is a very powerful petition, very important for us. So I hope, I hope you, can, um, you can pray with that more there. Um, we'll go through the last two kind of, kind of quick. We're getting close. My 10 minutes are up one minute ago. All right, overtime. Boom, you guys ready for overtime? All right, good. Does God tempt us? No. You ever thought about that? Well, this petition, lead us not. Why am I saying lead us not in temptation? Why would God try to lead us into temptation? That doesn't make any sense. That's not what it's saying. The full sense of this is basically this. Let us not be tempted beyond our strength. So you can think of it. Whenever you pray this petition, that's what you're saying is, Lord, 
don't let me be tempted beyond my strength. That means basically you're acknowledging that God will always, that you know, you trust, again, confidently, that God will always provide you the grace to get through your trials, to get through your difficulties, to get through your struggles. That's what this petition means right there. Finally, deliver us from evil. Um, Four kinds of evil. Evil of the past, the present, and the future. Good quote here. We ought to pray not only that we may not be led into evil from which we are free at present, but that we may be set free from that evil into which we have already been led. That's that forgiveness of sins. One of the ways that we can be still um, captured or imprisoned by the evil we've done in the past or our sins is, again, not letting go of that, of not, not letting go of that guilt, right? A lot of us have experienced that before. I, maybe we're experiencing it still right now. You might hold on to it too much, and so then it's still kind of um, bearing you down, holding you back. So you can really let that go, delivery, being delivered from evil in that way. So that's the evil of guilt again, evil of punishment, and evil of all else. So that's basic evil too, just you know, the difficult things that happen. Um, these are interesting. Um, four ways that God delivers. You think, how, well, how does God deliver me from evil? Well, one way he does it is direct intervention sometimes. Sometimes he literally will step in and do Have you guys heard any of those stories? I've, these blow me away sometimes. Like those stories of people who say, you know, they had this experience where they were like running into the street as a little kid and just they like fell flat on their back when a car was coming by. Have you heard one of those kinds of stories before? No? Anyone heard one like that before? I've heard of, like two or three in my lifetime. People tell me stories where, like, they, they, they said, like, it, they just felt like it was their guardian angel who just put up a spiritual wall to prevent them from running to the street and get hit by a car. You know, sometimes there is this direct intervention. Another way, comfort. One of the ways that God, isn't that interesting to think of? One of the ways that God will deliver you from evil you're experiencing is he will comfort you in the midst of the evil, right? He is, the Holy Spirit is the comforter in that way. Another way, overabundance of blessings. One of the ways that he will help you deliver, help deliver you from evil is he's going to, as you experience that little bit of evil for whatever reason, he's going to give you a much greater abundance of blessings that will overpower that experience, right? That's another way he likes to do it. Another way, this is interesting, tribulation itself. Sometimes God might allow a little evil in order to get something better happening. Or to think of it that a tribulation itself, let me rephrase that because that's actually theologically incorrect. So what I want to say is this. <laughs> See, priests can sometimes say things wrong. You got to be careful. You can't just trust any priest who walks in here and starts talking that just because Carrie invited him and Carrie said it's his favorite priest. All right. Tribulation itself. <laughs> sorry, Carrie. <laughs> tribulation itself. What this means is that we are experiencing some kind of difficulty but it prevents us perhaps from entering something much more difficult. So, for example, uh, what would be a better example of this um, in my own life? Let's say that um, there's, uh, ah, yes, here's a, good, here's, a, here's a really good real example. So um, I have to, uh, let's say that by chance, um, I get called in the middle of the night to go uh, bring the anointing of sick to someone. And that's a, that's a, it's a huge struggle. Like, like that's a really hard thing for me to do because I like sleeping, you know, and we all like sleeping and we don't get enough of it. And so I have to wake up in the middle of the night and it's a little bit of a tribulation, but that tribulation, that little suffering that I endure is part of my vocation. 
So it's helping saving me from a much greater evil, right? It's helping me live the spiritual life in a holy way if I respond to it properly. So while I see it as a little tribulation to have to get out of bed, you know the hardest time is when you just lay down and put your head on the pillow and then the call comes and you're like, oh, because then you're, you're in your PJs, you're ready to go to bed, you got to get back up and get dressed. You guys don't need to hear the, this is not confessions of, a, of, a, of an East County priest, you know, but anyways, there you go, okay? So there's an example of a, a little, tri- what seems like a tribulation actually is saving me from, obviously, eternal damnation when I respond to it well. Okay, conclusion. To be confident, this is the key. Can you say the word confidence? That's not very confident. Confidence. Good. To be confident in prayer, which I I want you to be inspired to to approach the Lord with confidence when you pray, is to mean what you say. When you mean what you say, it means you're really praying. So when you ever say the Our Father, and you're just kind of like, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I don't want to shake that person's hand next to me. Thy kingdom come. You know, and you're just saying the words, but you're not really meaning them. That means you're not really praying. So I want you to recognize that you can confidently pray the Our Father by meaning what you say. You actually think about the words that you're saying. You try to to pray them out, okay? Um, This is the quickest and fastest way, by the way, to increase your quality of mass. If you really think about what you're saying, and not just mumble, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, and with your spirit, and uh, I confess to Almighty God and to you. My, no, to really mean what you say, okay? Very important. Have that confidence in God's grace, which is real and waiting for you. Giving you the confidence in the spiritual life, here is a, a life program, right? We talked about a lot about athletes who discipline themselves and do stuff. Here is your disciplinary, here is your workout regimen for the spiritual life, Okay? I call it the five once us, all right? Once a day, examine your conscience. Once a week, receive the Holy Eucharist. Once a month, go to confession. Once a half of a year, read a spiritual book. Once a year, go on a weekend retreat. Five things that if you just repeated this year after week, day after day, week after week, month after month, six months after six months, year after year, it's a good pattern that will keep you in connection with the spiritual life and makes it very accessible. So I want you to trust the Catholic Church, to trust the, the prayer and the spiritual tradition that we contain for yourself, all right? Once a day, examine your conscience. Once a week, receive the Holy Eucharist. Once a month, go to confession. Once a half a year, read a spiritual book. Once a year, go on a weekend retreat. And I gave you, in case you want it, I'm not going to go through it because I don't have time. I gave you how to do an examination of conscience on a daily basis. This is one of the easiest ways to get out of that. We talk about spiritual childhood. One of the things that marks the spiritual childhood is that we have a hard time getting away from sin. If you examine your conscience on a daily basis, you're going to grow in your awareness of sin and you're going to want to separate yourself from it more.